we start with the outrageous story of the casino mogul and his wife who flew to the Yukon, got the COVID vaccine meant for a vulnerable indigenous community. Unbelievable. Rod Baker, 55. He was making $10 million a year as the head of great Canadian casinos. He has resigned that position after being hit with these accusations. His wife, the aspiring 32-year-old Russian actress, Ekaterina Baker, both accused here of flying to a remote community in the Yukon to get the COVID vaccine. Where does it all go from here? What should be the punishment for this offense if they're found guilty of it? Great guest to talk about it now, John Stryker. He is a cabinet minister in the Yukon. He is the point cabinet minister on this file. I'm very pleased he could join us this morning. John, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Mike. Could you describe how you found out about this and and what went through your mind when you heard this? Well, the way I found out was that um, the well, it's it's a week ago. It, it last Tuesday, uh, uh, these two folks traveled to the Yukon, and we have a 14-day isolation requirement for anyone that comes back to the territory or to the right. territory. And so they filled out a declaration that they were going to self-isolate in Whitehorse at a hotel, just what you're going to talk about at the top of the hour. Right. Then we. We we move forward. We, we've been having we've 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 gotten our long term care facilities vaccinated here, our frontline healthcare workers, and now we're working on all of our communities. And we've got these two mobile teams, and they go around to our communities. And so we advertise, hey, we're going to be in Beaver Creek on Thursday. It's not it's not like we're hiding that information from anybody. And uh, so the clinic got set up. And uh, what I'm told is that these two folks. Uh, left their isolation and they chartered a flight from Whitehorse to Beaver Creek and Beaver Creek is Canada's westernmost community it's the it's along the Alaska highway in the last community before you head into Alaska right. and they showed up there and they went to the clinic and then they told the clinic folk that they were um, uh, working at the motel in town and and then they so they did get the first dose of the Moderna vaccine, right? And then as they were leaving, they said, "Hey, can someone get us a lift to the airstrip?" And the vaccine folks were saying, "No, we, we're we're busy vaccinating people," but it 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 tweaked for them. So uh, after the so the the couple left, they they went they walked to the airstrip. It's not that far. Then uh, presumably got back on their charter. Meanwhile, the, the vaccine team decided to call over to the motel and say, hey, do you, do you have these two staff folks? And the answer was no. So then the vaccine team called back to Whitehorse and t- talked to our civil emergency measures enforcement folks and said, hey, be on the lookout for these two people. And so uh, the enforcement team went to the airport to try and meet the charter, but the charter had already landed, the charter from Beaver Creek back to Whitehorse. Then the enforcement team went to uh, to the hotel where this couple had declared that they would be self-isolating. Right. And then after that, they decided, because they'd already checked out, they decided to double back to the airport to domestic flights, and they found them in the departure lounge wow. heading back out of the territory and charged them there. Unbe- yeah, so unbelievable. It, it, it was, 
it, yeah, so you asked what I thought, like when yeah. I heard that this was happening, and some of the details became clearer over the next day or so. Yeah, I, I think you referred to it as outrageous. We were outraged, and I don't think yeah. that's me alone as the minister. I think that all Yukoners, and especially the folks in Beaver Creek, are really choked that... Uh, that Canadians would act in, that anybody would act in such a selfish fashion to put themselves ahead of a community. Okay, I congratulate you and all your officials for for catching catching them, uh, uh, which I think is is fantastic. Uh, Some questions being being, uh, raised here. Were they not, I guess there was not a pre-approved list of who would receive the vaccine at this mobile clinic. So is that how they were able to kind of get away with this? Yeah. Like if you just show up and just say, oh yeah, I work at the hotel. So that they just, it was kind of like a, an honor system. If you, if you show up and say that you're, you're in the community, they'll give you the shot. Yeah. So it, 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 we did not anticipate that someone would go to this length. We, yeah. you know, and now we will anticipate it and we're working I've got a call with all of our First Nation chiefs uh, uh, just afternoon today to talk through how we'll pivot. We, um, you know, normally people would have a Yukon healthcare card, but there are people that have moved here. I talked to one reporter from one of our uh, great local papers. He, he moved here in the fall. He still got his healthcare card from outside the territory. He should get a vaccine. Obviously, these two people should not have gotten a vaccine. Yeah. Um, and and so we'll put in place more uh, procedures to make sure that yeah. if someone is saying that they've got an outside out of territory healthcare card, that we'll just check to make sure that they're definitely is, uh, here working. Is there any suspicion that they had any kind of inside help, or there was anyone else involved in helping them to try and try and pull this off? Like you mentioned that this mobile clinic had been publicly advertised, so I guess they could find out that way. But is, is there any suspicion that they were tipped off or helped in any way? No, I. You know, okay. I mean, our enforcement folks did what they could do. They actually, you know, did exactly as we can under our act. And, and we've advised the RCMP. I, I have no indication of anything more uh, that was going on. It, it really is not hard. We're, we're advertising in our communities. Like we're, we're on calls all the time trying to talk through with our communities about, about the Moderna vaccine and, and what it means and you know, just encouraging everybody that right. wants to get vaccinated to get vaccinated. Right. Speaking to Yukon Community Services Minister John Stryker, now the, this couple have been charged under the territory's Civil Emergency Measures Act. It carries a, a fine of $500 plus a $75 surcharge and possibly six months in jail. Is that potential that these, these people go to jail if they're convicted? Well, you know, I'm still working through how that all works right now. The, normally, we just we just find people, but every once in a while, there's also uh, a court date set. So I'm I'm still uh, looking to follow up with that with our Minister of Justice. Um, the I think that uh, everyone here uh, feels that uh, that that this was uh, uh, well. It, it, it was. God, I'm trying not to use expletives, Mike. Like, like I understand. Like, you know, we would all here in the Yukon. We would talk pretty plainly about this stuff. Yeah. But well, feel free. I, feel free. Yeah. No. Tell I know, me how you. Tell me how you really feel. Well, we're choked. We're yeah. absolutely choked. <clears throat> and you know, sorry. 
No, yeah, I understand 100%. this has got people upset. Do you think, yeah. I mean, a $500 fine is nothing to this guy. I mean, this guy was making $10 million a year as running a casino company. I mean, do you think that's I mean, an inadequate penalty? Do you, your thoughts? Well, the, the penalty that I've got at, at my disposal is, 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 is under this act, which is way out of date. We pulled together an all-party committee to start working on amending the act. But, you know, that process takes time. We've been very focused on trying to keep people safe. That's 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 been our number one job, and 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 really, the Yukon has done done an amazing job job at keeping everybody safe, like just each other, following up on all the rules. Like like it's been great here. We've had seventy seven zero cases since the start of the pandemic, and we've got right. zero right now, and we want to keep it that way. So, you know, that's been our main focus. Now, in the meantime, we advise the RCMP, and I'll let them do their job, and it's just. You know, from my side of this, it's not right for me as a minister to yeah. to start talking about that stuff. I need them; that they're going to do their thing. So we'll see where that goes. You know, I all of this stuff. It's really about how we keep our citizens safe, because you know, in the middle of a pandemic, you, you're you're just doing your best. It, I, and I don't mean me personally; I mean everyone, whether it's the vaccine team or whether it's the community or whether it's our enforcement folks. Everyone is working just to keep the whole of the community safe. And what gets us so angry <clears throat> is that people would think about themselves ahead of the whole of the population. It just, it just feels so entitled. And I guess it doesn't even really matter to me who these folks are. They, it, just was, it was just too calculated and too, too planned out to, to, to be... It's just, I don't think we're going to forgive very easily. Minister, thank you for coming on this morning. Thanks very much, Mike. To the show, live to Ottawa now. My guest is federal NDP leader Jugmeet Singh. Very busy day for him. I'm, I appreciate his time. Thank you for coming on. Okay, we'll just try to book, book it inside and then. Hello, Jugmeet. You know, Jugmeet. Can you do me a favor? Jugmeet yes, Singh. Hi. Yes. hi, can you hear me? Yes. Jugmeet, we're on the air. Oh, sorry. Yes, sir. How's it going? <laughs> so, it's going great. Thanks a lot for doing this. I know you're. I know you're busy today. Uh, no, there, it's all there, good. It's a ton to talk to you about here. So let me get right into it here. Uh, yesterday, yes, we we saw the House of Commons uh, vote uh, unanimously to designate the Proud Boys as a terror group. Uh, I believe you moved that motion. Can you tell me what this means? Yes, this is a very important motion. Uh, what we've seen is that the history of of security forces in Canada has also often been to focus on, on international threats, but ignoring the real threats to Canadians, which we have found again and again, it comes from domestic terrorism, particularly from white supremacist groups and extreme right-wing groups. They have posed the real threat to Canadians. We've seen the lives that have been lost in attacks like the Quebec mosque shooting and in Toronto with different attacks. And now most recently in, in Washington, the Proud Boys were clearly involved in an insurrection, which we have not really appreciated how serious and how horrible it is. It was an undermining of democracy, and they were proudly participants. So given all the evidence we have about the real threat, this is really a realignment of the, of the work and the resources that our security services do to say, let's focus on those that are posing a real threat to Canadians that really are, are a threat to undermining a democracy or putting Canadians' right. lives at risk. And this was a big, a big step forward. 
Okay, so this was a unanimous motion by the House of Commons, which which was uh, we don't see very often. But what what is the next step now? That, that doesn't make it that doesn't make it uh, formally a, a designation, right? That has to be done by the government. Is that right? Exactly. It's not yeah. it's not formally done yet. This is just a clear message being sent by the the parliament that uh, we should be focusing on the real threats to Canadians, where the evidence has shown that Canadians are really at risk. So this is. An important message sent. This is the will of Parliament, and this should direct the the efforts now that the responsibility falls on the on the part of the government, the Justin Trudeau's government right now, to now yeah. take this clear unanimous motion that has been passed and move forward with it. And then, what would that mean for law enforcement in Canada if we get if they do bring in that formal designation of the Proud Boys as a terror organization? What what does that mean? Practically, well, it means that they should not; uh, they will no longer be able to operate in Canada. They will be prosecuted for operating, and that we will begin. This is just one step. The motion called on the government to use all resources possible to combat all forms of white supremacy. They are the real threats to Canadian security, to unity. They are spewing hate, purposely designed to to divide, and are uh, promoting violence in many cases. So, this is vital that the groups that are promoting hate and violence are not allowed to operate okay. in Canada, and this is one step to ban, and this would be a step that would ban one group. Okay, we're following that one closely. My guest is federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. What about the potential for an international travel ban? What about the potential for a 14-day mandatory hotel quarantine for international visitors to Canada? Do you think that's what we should do? Well, these have been very effective tools that have been used in other countries. The quarantine, the 14-day quarantine, has been uh, used in New Zealand to great effect and in Australia. Uh, And also the quarantining uh, combined with uh, limits on non-essential travel, they are are important steps. But I do want to focus on, for me, the most important thing is tackling what the experts say is the biggest source of transmission, which is workplace transmission. And one of the ways that experts are recommending is to make the paid sick leave easier. We fought in one paid sick leave. We need to make it easier for people to access more flexible, uh, better pay so that people do not go to work sick. Okay, on the travel ban, though, do you, is, that the, is that the direction? I mean, we see some hints from the government that maybe they're going to do something like this. They're going to crack down with a, quarant- a 14-day quarantine, an international travel ban. Do you think we should do that, and what do you think would be the impact of that? Well, I think that it is, it is something that could be, it could be helpful. Uh, the, it right now, but do, you, do you support people, it, though? Do you think that's what we should do? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, I think okay. it's something that we could look at. I just don't think it's the top priority. I think the top priority, again, if you look at the experts' yeah. advice, is we're seeing the most transmission from workplace, uh, wor- workplace settings. That's the biggest source of transmission. So I want to put my emphasis on where we're seeing the biggest risks. So that's people going into work and make it easier for people to take paid sick leave if they can't, if they are sick. That, I think, is the most important thing, given the evidence. But yeah, the, the paid, uh, the uh, quarantining and travel restrictions or limiting non-essential travel, right. they, they are tools that have been used and I support them, but they're not my focus. What, what about the vaccine supply in Canada? We've seen the disruption of, of the supply stream of the Pfizer vaccine. We're running out of vaccine, vaccine very short supply here in BC and elsewhere across the country. Do you place any blame on, on Justin Trudeau for that? I mean, he's taken some heat for not being tough enough with this Pfizer company. They should have made, uh, other countries seem to be getting more vaccine than us. Do you, do you think Trudeau takes any blame for that? One of the things we said from the beginning, yes, it, it, there is blame, absolutely, that the, the Justin Trudeau and the, and the Liberal government should should uh, 
are responsible for, given the fact that we pointed out a month ago that Canada did not have a clear plan. And at the time, Australia and United Kingdom, UK, both had very detailed plans that were widely available. You could look them up on the internet. And those plans laid out exactly what they would do in the case of different uh, vaccines being available. They talked about procurement and rollout. That similar type of detail was not available at the federal level. We did not see Justin Trudeau lay out a plan like that. There still is not a clear plan. They've got a vague detail around getting everyone vaccinated by September, but they don't have details around what that means. How do we get to that result? What does that mean in terms of how many doses are going to be received each month? How many people are going to be vaccinated each month? So definite uh, lack of plan on the part of the federal government, on the part of Justin Trudeau, which definitely contributes to the problem that we're in right now. Okay, your friend uh, John Horgan, the NDP Premier of British Columbia, said the other day we had a vaccine rollout plan here in BC, and he said it doesn't help anyone to point fingers at Trudeau over this. So you disagree with him, right? I I do believe that there there was a lack of planning, and that the planning that other countries put in place was better and more thorough. And we had yeah. called on on Justin Trudeau to have a better and more thorough plan. That is a, a certain specific criticism that is fair to make given that other countries okay. with similar challenges australia also has a, a state legislature or a provincial system like we have and they rolled out a very thorough plan at the federal level and so yeah. i think it's a fair criticism okay let me ask you real quickly about julie payette the governor general who resigned last week after this uh, shocking report about a toxic workplace at rideau hall her official residence in in ottawa do you think she should continue to get a lifetime pension and a lifetime expense account no, I think Canadians are really concerned about this. They they look at this and say, well, she uh, resigned and, and engaged in, in really toxic uh, workplace culture. Uh, workers were going through a really difficult thing. It was uh, a lot of harassment. Uh, workers left their job because it was so hard. Given that people, it doesn't sit well with people that she's going to continue to receive uh, a lot of benefits. So this is something that doesn't sit well with Canadians. Uh, there's limitations in terms of uh, employment laws and, and what we can do. But I think... You know, this type of behavior should not be rewarded at the end of the day. It should not be rewarded. Canadians don't sit well with this. Right. Do you think Trudeau was, like, dazzled by your star power as as an astronaut, a former astronaut, and that's why he put her into this job? I mean, mean, clearly, I think the vetting process failed here, but your thoughts? Absolutely. This is what I said earlier. I said that Justin Trudeau was more interested in chasing uh, flashy headlines than doing the hard work of vetting someone. Yeah. And this is the responsibility of the Liberal government. This is their pick. It was their choice. And it's come to light that if they had done even a little bit of a, a vetting job, they would have realized similar complaints were made about uh, Ms. Payette when she worked at various other jobs, including at the Science Center in, um, in her previous role. So right. there was clear signs of this type of problem, a vetting that had any level of scrutiny that w- would have identified these problems. But I right. think at the end of the day, Justin Trudeau is more interested in, in, in catching or, or pursuing a flashy headline than doing the hard work. Last question for you. I think Trudeau wants an election. He says he doesn't want one, but I don't believe him. I think he does want an election. He's trying to figure out a way to trigger one. Are you prepared for an election, and do you think that's what Trudeau wants? There's no doubt that that is exactly what Trudeau wants. So anyone who's out there thinking that uh, that he that it would, it would put him in a tough position to call an election, absolutely not. He's riding in a comfortable position in the polls and absolutely is looking for an excuse to go to an election. And I'm saying very clearly, the Prime Minister should be spending every single ounce of his effort 
making sure people get vaccines and are vaccinated. That is the only job that the prime minister should be doing right now. He should not be spending any time planning for an election, but it looks like that is exactly what he's looking for. But if he does call an election, it will not be because of New Democrats. It'll be because he called one. We are ready for one. We've paid off our 2015 and our 2019 election debt. We've got money in the bank. Uh, We're doing well, and we are ready to fight it. We just don't think it's the right thing to do. Right. So you're not going to bring the government down. We're in a minority parliament here. So so potentially you could have a a big impact yourself on votes in the House of Commons to bring this government down. So you're not going to bring the government down. Yeah, we've, we've shown in the past there was a recent vote that we were the only ones that said, listen, we're not going to give Justin Trudeau the election that he's looking for. He turned an opposition day motion, which is a normal thing that opposition parties bring forward and say, you know, we're concerned about this or raising that issue. He turned one of those votes into a confidence vote, which has never happened yeah, in recent right. history. It's not, it's not normal to do that. That was clear signal that he was looking for an excuse to go to an election. We didn't give him that excuse, and we're not going to give him that excuse. We're going to fight hard like we have and fight to get wins for people. Like we doubled CERB, we brought in paid sick leave, we brought in these big changes for people and these big victories. We'll continue to do that. We're not going to pass legislation unless it's good for people. But at the same time, we're not going to give these, uh, give this government an excuse to go to an election. We're not going to do that. Okay. I appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the casino mogul and his wife who flew to that remote community in the Yukon to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, Rod Baker, 55 years old, he had been making $10 million a year as the head of Great Canadian Casinos. He has now resigned from that position. His wife, Ekaterina Baker, 30-year-old Russian aspiring actress, both accused of flying to that remote community in the Yukon to get the COVID-19 vaccine. I I spoke to John Stryker earlier today on the show. He's a Yukon cabinet minister. He's the point person on this investigation. Man, he was fired up. He's mad about this. Here's what he told me. It, it, it was, God, I'm trying not to use expletives, Mike. Like, like, I understand. You know, we would all, here in the Yukon, we would talk pretty plainly about this stuff. Yeah. But well, feel this, free. I, feel free. Yeah, no, tell I know. Me how you, tell me how you really feel. Well, we're choked. We're yeah. absolutely choked. Okay, they're absolutely choked up in the Yukon. I wonder what's going to happen now in this case. Let's get some legal analysis now with my guest, Ari Goldkind. He is a criminal lawyer, political commentator, and a legal expert, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Ari, thanks a lot for coming on. Always great to be on with you. What do you think of this case, and are, is this couple, are this couple in a lot of trouble? I mean, they're looking at a 500-odd fine, but it could be more than that. Could they go to jail? Well, this is the interesting part of the case. There's twofold. One is if you look at the actual act in the Yukon, it's the Civil Emergency Measures Act. Let's bring people right into what the act says. Okay. That they're liable on summary conviction to a fine not exceeding $500, which is right. the ticket they got plus a $700, sorry, a $75 surcharge. But here's the key. Or to imprisonment for a term not exceeding six months or to both fine and imprisonment. So if they're smart and they've paid their ticket already, they've gone, they've paid it, the 575, they've admitted guilt and they're done with it, that's the smartest thing they could do. Because if they set it down for trial, at that point, I think what many people in your audience are probably clamoring for is that we send people to jail, I'll put this euphemistically, we send homeless people to jail for stealing a sandwich from a store, they sometimes get 7, 14 days. Is what this couple did, many people are asking, not worth at least a sleep or two in jail? That's the question that we have here. 
if they fight it, but certainly in the Emergency Measures Act in the Yukon, jail of up to six months is in the section on the table. Right. And the cabinet minister from the Yukon already told me this morning they have alerted the RCMP to this case. So there could be further investigations going on. But I think it was an interesting point that you just raised that they would be smart to immediately pay that fine. And maybe they have done that. I, we don't know. But 575 bucks obviously is not even a slap on the res. I mean, it'd be even less than that. But are you saying that if they pay the fine, then they would not be liable to the to the jail term potentially. Like, is yeah, there a double I, double jeopardy thing there? That's no. Well, if they pay the fine, it's done with. It's a fait accompli, and I think that they probably paid it ten minutes ago. I have no inside yeah. knowledge, but yeah. they they would be able to afford a lawyer who could read this section. I haven't seen the exact ticket, obviously, but it strikes me that the the option before you fight something is you pay the fine and it's done with. Now. What I don't understand many people thinking across the country, and again, because I look at things differently, people seem to think that the punishment, whether it's the fine or the jail, to me the fine should be much higher, but that's the, that's the section that they're charged in the Yukon, and it is what it is to use a very non-fancy phrase. Right. But what this couple has done is that a lot of people in Canada forget we live in a, in a system where the courtroom that I work in every day, I'm literally in a Zoom courtroom right now, I'm just out to speak to you for a half an hour, but the courtroom of public opinion often has a much greater effect on people's lives, the scarlet letter that will be on these two forever, the fact that he's had to step down from his very, very wealth-causing job, the fact that as an actress, this isn't going to help her, and these two names will be plastered all over Google, for the rest of their life. So for people worrying that the $500 isn't enough, that's a very valid point. But for the severance this guy is going to get, because all of these very wealthy people, when they screw up, they tend to get massive severance that your audience doesn't get when they screw up. There are huge societal costs to this couple that will be with them for the rest of their life. And and an even small part of the story that not a lot of people have talked about is that the people in the small town they were in, about 100 people, they all knew exactly what this couple was doing quickly. It was fishy. They caught on to it in two seconds. And nobody would give them a ride back to the airport. They had to walk back to the airport because nobody would give them a ride. That may reflect a significant part of their life coming up. Okay, are you surprised at this this caper? Because it, this is not exactly the the smoothest operation I've, I've ever seen. I mean, this is not Ocean's Eleven here kind of uh, smooth operation of a, of a break in. I mean, these guys go into a small community of like a hundred people in the Yukon where they potentially could have stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, it just kind of surprises me. A guy with millions of dollars in the bank couldn't have come up with a better plan. And so you hit on the nail of something that I've been saying about this story since yeah. I saw it and get, you know, everybody getting mad. It's this. And you say Ocean's Eleven, I say The Italian Job. That's my yeah. favorite breakout movie. <laughs> okay. So here you have a very, very wealthy man and his actress wife. Right. They're doing all of this and chartering planes and spending thousands and thousands of dollars to go get a vaccine while she is busy Instagramming and tweeting, I stay home because... I'm making a sacrifice so that everybody, I'm being serious, by the way, you can look yes. at her Instagram post yes. where she's literally lecturing people to stay home because she is, and she's making a sacrifice. All right. 
Why they would take this kind of chance, go on this lark. I mean, they're very wealthy people. They could have just gone to Florida the way so many of our nanas and papas and grandparents and have gone to Florida. Florida just shut down that loophole. It just seems to be, I don't know what they were on, if they're guilty, what they were on, if they were smoking something that's now legal in Canada, to say this is a good plan, this is worth the money to go get a vaccine, where they could have just stayed home and they probably have a beautiful, beautiful condo yeah. in downtown Vancouver, probably living quite near the YY executive who's in her big mansion, where it's just, it, it's so stupid to me, Mike. I, I don't know a more fancy way of looking at this than how did anybody look at this plan and think, yeah, this is genius and this is what we should be doing. No, this is not a good plan at all. What about the fact that, you know, this story has flashed around the world, by the way. I mean, the whole world is, is following this story. And when you take, when you think about the headline here, a casino mogul going to a small remote town with a, a vulnerable indigenous population, I mean, it just sort of checks all the boxes. To, to, so outrageous. You've got a, a remote First Nations community that are worried about this virus. They are just mad as hell up there. Let me play this here for you. This is Janet Vandermeer from the White River First Nation uh, talking about this situation, and here's what she said. How dare this couple? I think of the risk they put our elders, our seniors, our community in. It's, it's just outrageous. How do you justify, you know, a $500 fine? I keep hearing $500, $1,000. Hey, it could be $50,000. It's not enough. Okay, so she's talking about the fine there. Doesn't the penalty does not fit the offense? But uh, y- y- your thoughts? Yeah. So I'll give you two thoughts on this. One, mm-hmm. I think your audience will maybe agree with. One, they will quite likely disagree with. I hate that we now live in the nation of wokeistan, social justice stand, and everything is. You know, if you're rich, if you're Caucasian, you're the enemy. Uh, you're always evil. However, these two people are literally, you know, central casting 101 of two privileged Caucasian people going into a small indigenous village and acting in a way where all the things that I hate when it's said without basis, they're actually proving that what people say about that kind of mindset, rich, wealthy Caucasian people going into an indigenous village, is correct. So from that point of view, even though I hate living in the nation of Wokistan, and social justice world, these two people really deserve all of the criticism they're getting if they are guilty of what they've done, and there's no other explanation. However, Mike, this is the part where I don't clutch my pearls the same way. They did what they did. They're arguably not great people. Maybe they're very charitable people and wonderful people outside of this, but they did something stupid and they're going to pay the price. But if we're really going to clutch our pearls, at things that endanger Canadians and endanger people. As you know, there are other cases throughout this country where people have been not in the news as much, people flying in from all sorts of countries, full of COVID, they know they have COVID, they don't quarantine, they go to work, they go out, they get their cab driver infected, they get their Uber driver infected, but because we don't have good contract tracing, they get away with it. Or as you may know in Ontario... There is a long-term care doctor, and by the way, listen to those words, a long-term care doctor who is now charged 
with lying about having contact with somebody who may have the UK variant of COVID, which, as you know, in Ontario, is destroying a lot of lives and is destroying people in long-term care homes, given its uh, transmissibility. So, yes, what this couple did, sure, they're easy to be the boogeyman. I think they deserve the scorn that they've gotten. But in terms of endangering Canadians, I think at some point we have to look at who's endangered. Yes, they endangered the people in that village if they had COVID. And if they didn't have a negative test and they exposed people in a village that, by the way, is five hours. And I'm sure you saw this, Mike. They are five hours from the nearest hospital. So the people in that village are right to be upset. But I can give you a whole series of examples of people that have come into this country or in this country that have endangered thousands and thousands of people under the radar. All right, welcome back to the show. As we continue talking about the casino mogul and his wife who went to the Yukon to get the COVID-19 vaccine, my guest is Ari Goldkind. He's a criminal lawyer, political commentator, legal expert. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Suzanne in Vancouver, hi. Hi. Hi there. Go ahead. Um, well, I just think that uh, I think Rod Baker's getting... $24 million in just payment for his unvested stock options for selling Great Canadian to a U.S.-based hedge fund um, last year. And I think he made about 6 or $7 million a year for the last number of years that he's been the CEO. Um, so it seems like he has more than enough money to just kind of slide away into anonymity over this um, and never really need to work again. Um, but I think what he did was reprehensible, and it speaks to the level of entitlement that the corporate elite CEOs in this country feel like. I don't think everyone would do that, but I don't think it's as uncommon as maybe people think. Yeah, okay, Suzanne, thanks a lot for the call. Okay, she raises an interesting point, Ari. Do you think the fact that you know he's got such a vast amount of wealth that uh, even if his reputation is is in shatters in tatters because of this, does it really that matter that much? Your thoughts? Yeah, I think it. I think it does. I mean, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. Their life, yeah. as they know it, is forever changed. Sure, lots of people might still be their friends, but they're going to be shunned in a lot of places. There's no doubt about it. So you know, and to the comment that you know the corporate elite or uh, I think ninety nine point eight seven percent of CEOs today reading the story react to it no differently than you or I or your caller. So this is one couple that made a terrible decision. Do I think they need to be banished to the gulag forever? No, but certainly the punishment that they're going to get from the rest of the world and broader society is, I think, yeah. significant, and I'm, I'm not willing to pile on any further than people have. Okay, Vicky in Kelowna. Hi, Vicky. Hi. Um, I think that the fines, I call them COVID fines, should be directed directly to a COVID fund to help out in the hospitals. And the other thing is when you get fined for misbehaving with COVID, you should also have not just the fine, but you should also have to put in maybe 100 hours in the hospital, in the COVID area, cleaning, (laughs) wiping down, sterilizing, so that they know it's real. Okay, Vicky, thanks for the call. Well, I don't think that's going to happen, but what about the fines in general, though, Aria? Like, I've heard people make that same argument. Like, forget about this casino mogul and his wife for a second. What about the fines for other uh, other COVID uh, misbehaviors, like people opening up restaurants against the rules, that kind of thing? 
Well, that's something that ties into what I was saying to you in our first segment before right. the break, is that, look, different provinces do it differently. This, this enforcement section in the Yukon was $500. Yeah. You may know, and you may, it may have made national headline, there was a barbecue guy who opened up a barbecue place in Toronto, refused to close it. Yes. You know, he's looking at fines in the tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's a church that won't close because their position is we're the only thing keeping people from jumping off a bridge. They need health, mental health work. They need to feel spirituality. They're looking at fines of $100,000 to a $1 million. So wow. there is not a uniform standard across the country on provincial acts. But let me go back to what your caller said, Mike, if I sure. may. Sure, yes. I, you know, the, she actually raises a very interesting point about the lack of creativity in sentencing. And if I could add a little humor to it, there's a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Anybody doesn't know what that is, it's the creator of Seinfeld, who got punished for a certain funny crime on his show, but then he had to wear a sign to shame himself in front of the restaurant that he stole something out of. Your caller makes a point that so many Canadians don't understand the seriousness now because we don't have cameras because of stupid privacy concerns and other reasons in the emergency rooms, in the intensive care units, where many Canadians aren't getting the real on-the-ground sense of what's going on in hospitals. So when your caller says these people should be sentenced to cleaning up and being in the hospital and seeing the reality and giving something back, as much as it will never happen, I can tell you, and I'm not in any immediate danger of being a judge, I would start <laughs> thinking of more creative ways to okay. sentence people. So your caller says something quite interesting. Ari, it's always great to have you on. Thanks for coming on today. Pleasure, Mike.